0: Well, hey, everybody. We hope you're doing well wherever you're watching from. Thanks for hitting play again and tuning in with us and joining us. I also want to take a second and welcome all of our podcast listeners as well. Thank you for joining in and listening and listening and watching from wherever you're listening and watching from. It's just so great to have you along for the ride. So well done for hitting play. And uh, we hope you're enjoying the first week of summer. Well, kind of the worst first week of summer, the first week of July. And it's been a big week with Canada Day. So I hope you got some time with family maybe and friends depending on what your social bubble is right now in this time. And yesterday was July 4th, so happy independence to all of our American friends. It's been a pretty big week and we hope you've been able to kind of slow down and enjoy the weather and enjoy this time of year. Again, it's so great to have you with us. We are journeying through a series right now called Faith for Exiles. It's a book by David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock, and it's a great, great book that we're kind of using as our guide through the summer months here, just to lead us in a conversation about living as resilient disciples in our current moment. And so we're going to continue that. And, you know, with it being Canada Day this week, uh, we're going to focus a little bit actually on Canada and some Canada stats. Uh, Really, the book is centered around research. Uh, It's like legitimate research that's been done uh, as um, people who are 18 to 29 have kind of been polled and given surveys in response to their spirituality and their faith in this moment compared to when they grew up. And so Barna has done a great job, and this book has done a great job at just kind of leading the way and showing us some things around the idea of faith in exiles. And so I'm just excited to kind of lead that, and I've had Canada kind of on my heart this week through Canada Day, and there's some Canadian-specific statistics that have been given that aren't necessarily in the book that I of want to lay as a foundation, and then next week we'll get into our first principle, one of five principles that the book gives that really resilient disciples embody in their apprenticeship and discipleship to Jesus. So the common thread and the common idea through all of this is that we are exiles. We use that as a motif for our current moment. We are not at the center. Just as Israel lost their land and temple and king and were pushed to the margins, that may not necessarily be our story, but our story is a posture from the margins. I often say that the church is more like indie rock than it is Beyonce. We are not like mainstream pop here. We are working slowly from the margins uh, in our society, in our world. And we looked at digital Babylon. You know, Babylon is this archetype of the empire that comes against God in the scriptures. And we kind of unpacked the digital moment that we're in and how we're calling this moment digital Babylon as a reflection of the world that we're living in and as well, just the stats that show how addicted and consumed we are with our screens and immediate information. And so we we started also a midweek podcast this week which was really cool called The After Show and some of you probably tuned in and watched a little bit of that. I thought what we'd do is just give a little highlight from The After Show from week one just to show you what we're dropping midweek, so check this out. What do you think about grouping people? (laughs) <laughs> is that helpful? I mean, I've, I, it's funny because I'm not, I'm not like that a whole lot, but I've, I have found mm. it helpful in the description. What do you guys think?
1: I—I <laughs> I, so, so I, I'm a statistician. So for me, that actually works perfect. Like my world <laughs> is in boxes and being able to figure out the variables and I want to know what variables. And how to group people. So, so actually, for me, this is perfect. Like, I love it. Um, oh I group, I what categorize do do? my life. So, I work in research. Um, And I actually have a, yeah, I did my PhD in research methodology and measurement. So anything to do with measurement and measuring and and doing surveys and how many people do this and things like that, that's kind of what I do, yeah. And then, because for me, I feel like if I have the numbers, then I can explain society and why society almost is. And I can start to kind of think about it, but I can see how numbers can be dangerous as well, because there can be lots of outliers that we don't, you know, that we kind of disregard. And so, you know, kind of to the point of, of, is it six months? You know, like Kendra said, like she knows of individuals who may be considered, um, you know, nomads as well. But, you know, it's been like a year or, you know, kind of between the habitual and the nomads, you know, like it's, it's kind of a fine line, you know, who draws that line and who makes that line. Um, and that's the dangerous thing about categorizing is, you know, who, yeah, like, where's the line? What is the line?
0: So we're having some fun along the way, and if you want to join us, the After Show, the Faith for Exiles After Show, drops on Thursdays in video and audio form. It's on the Praxis podcast if you want to listen in, and we just take some time to dissect some of the ideas that we've been wrestling through and talking about on Sunday, and just taking a deeper and a very relaxed conversation uh, with some friends, and they've done a great job. With that said, here's what Jude uh, says. Uh, This is written in the New Testament. Jude is actually, it's the shortest, I think, book in, or less in the Bible. It's literally one chapter long. In verse 17 of Jude, this is what it says. It says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there'll be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of your Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. One of the calls from Jude here is to keep ourselves in God's love and wait for the mercy of the Lord. And I do believe following Jesus over the course of a lifetime has to be intentional. I think we all have dark moments in our lives, dry moments, maybe the dark night of the soul kind of moments in our lives but i also know that we have to be proactive in our discipleship to king jesus and our allegiance to him and in following him and this is really kind of what we're talking about quite a bit over these next bunch of weeks what are things that we can practice as a practicing community that have legitimate again study behind it to show that these are the things that are working for people who are resilient disciples one of the kind of, not formulas, but one of the pictures that the book and David Kinneman gives is this little formula, realism plus hope equals resilience. Realism plus hope equals resilience. And I think, you know, you can have res- uh, realism on the one side and have it on its own, and it can kind of be counterintuitive. And I think You know, I think of our own city and in our own nation. There's a lot of realism right now. People will tell you what it's like. People will be real with you. But oftentimes, the hope piece is kind of missing, right? The other side is, I think a lot of people have a lot of hope, but don't want to drill down into reality. The moment that we're living in right now, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about the current trends and what we're experiencing in our country when it comes to faith and culture. And so there's a lot of hope, but no realism. And sometimes it just leaves people uh, hopeful, but with no grounding. But realism plus hope equals resilience. I think these two things coming together, being real around what people are saying and how especially young people in the church in Canada are responding, that mixed with the hope that Jesus is on a mission to renew all things and to reclaim this world, those two things together, I think, create resilience within us. So what Kinnaman and Matlock did is they um, talked really and, and created four different groups of exiles through their research. They pulled a bunch of Christians who grew up in the church between the, uh, and now are between the ages of 19 or sorry 18 and 29. And they pulled these, Christi- uh, these people uh, who grew up in Christian homes and grew up in churches. And they created four different groups of exiles just to help kind of build a frame for us as to where we're at. Group one, again, this is is just a little bit of review. We talked about this more in depth last week. Group one is prodigals, those who have left the way of Jesus and do not participate or do not call themselves Christians. This is really the ex-Christian group. Group two is the nomads. These are unchurched people who believe foundationally about God, but don't participate in community or don't belong to a community of people, the nomads. Group three is the habitual churchgoers, and these are people who, yeah, maybe they go to church once in a while, maybe once a month or whatever, but don't practice what Jesus calls us to practice, and their lives aren't um, uh, postured in the world towards Jesus and living it out. And then group four is resilient disciples, the smallest group. And these are passionate Jesus followers who are resilient in their faith in digital Babylon. They attend church regularly. They trust firmly in the scriptures. They're committed to Jesus and affirm his death, burial, and resurrection. And ultimately, these people as well, through the study, they desire to see culture transform, that they believe their life matters in their vocation, their work, and living in the way of Jesus. Now, what I want to do today, Happy Canada Day week and American independence, July 4th. Well done. What I want to do is, I just want to break down some of the research that isn't in your book. What Barna has done as they've equipped church leaders with a plethora, there's a word, plethora of data um, from countries all over the world. A lot of the stats that you get in the book are American stats because the writers are American, but we have some Canadian specific stuff that I want to talk about and also look at where Canada lands in comparison to the rest of the world. Hopefully that's okay don't turn it off yet, okay? Don't, don't, don't leave us yet. I promise the stat stuff, though it may seem like it's a little boring, I promise that there's payoff in the end if you stick with us. So what I want to do is just look at five different countries. There was, I think, 25 or 20 27 different countries that participated in this study by the Barna Group but I just wanna give you a snapshot of some of the different countries and where the prodigals, the nomads, the habitual churchgoers, and the resilient disciples lie within these different countries. Sound like a plan? It's gonna come up on the screen, follow along with me. Let's start with the US, right? Let's start with America, because if we're honest, America is probably, even though things are changing, we don't have time necessarily to talk about this, it's probably the most influential country, the most influential power in the world, And especially when it comes to evangelicalism, uh, America has been very front and center with the evangelical framework. And so let's look at uh, some of the stats around these four different groups of exiles when it comes to the states. First of all, in the states, 22% of the people that were polled were prodigals, those who had left the church and are no longer Christians. 30% were nomads. So these people who have a foundational belief but don't belong to a community. But the largest group within the United States of America is habitual churchgoers. So people who go to church once in a while, they kind of do their thing, but they don't really live, again, in the way of Jesus. They're not practicing what it means to be a Christian outside of going to church. It sounds harsh, but it's the reality. Outside of going to church once in a while. That's the largest group. And then resilient disciples in America is 10%. This is what the study showed. Now let's move to Brazil because what's happening actually in the global south is there is like legitimate massive revival and tectonic shifts happening in the global south where people are posturing themselves and beginning to follow Jesus with everything that they have. It's interesting that in the west, in um, North America especially, and in parts of Europe, there's been tectonic shifts away from the kingdom of God. Obviously, we've seen this in our own country, but in a country like Brazil, there's a lot of things happening. So Brazil has the lowest amount of prodigals at 13%, so those who grew up in the church but left, Nomads in Brazil, again, nomads being people who believe but don't belong is 28%. Habitual churchgoers is quite high in Brazil, with 42% uh, declaring kind of through the research that they're habitual churchgoers. And then resilient disciples in the nation of Brazil is 17%. So just remember, the U.S., 10% that are resilient and really practicing the way and hold a foundational faith in Jesus and giving their allegiance as king Resilient disciples in Brazil is 17%. Amazing. Something is happening in the global south that is really, really beautiful. Now let's go to Germany. My ancestors, my, my history, my people, right? It's good. Both my mom and my dad's side both have German heritage, and we just like to win at soccer, which is great. You know, I, you know the Euro Cup and, and World Cup every couple of years, watching that. It's great to be kind of embedded into that because Canada soccer is not really great. So I get to like declare during those seasons, my German heritage. In Germany, uh, prodigals, very high at 26%. Nomads, those who believe but don't belong, about 55%. What's interesting, and it's happening more in Europe, is that habitual church going is just, it's kind of going down now. Uh, 17% are habitual churchgoers in Germany through this study. And then resilient disciples are 2%. 2% are what would come back through some of the responses as again people who are committed to the way of Jesus it's crazy to think how how small that number actually is germany was the smallest number in percentage wise of habitual or of resilient disciples sorry uh, just next to austria all right from germany let's go to australia might How do you like that one? I lived in Australia for about a year. It's a great, great place. Uh, Australia, it's interesting. I I find Australians are a lot like Canadians, obviously different accent, they have better weather, but uh, I feel like we kind of sync up in the way we think. I really enjoyed my time in Sydney almost 20 years ago now. It's hard to believe 20 years ago, but Australians, much like Canada, uh, 35% are prodigals. 35% are nomads, these people that, again, believe but don't belong. 22% in Australia are habitual churchgoers. And then resilient disciples in Australia is 8%. So that just gives you a bit of framework for some of the things that are happening globally. Again, these 18 to 29-year-olds respond through a number of surveys and and were polled on a number of different things. And and, uh, Barna has put this data together to show uh, the different changing numbers. Now, let's get to our own country, Canada. Canada. We talked about this last week, but here is where we lie in our own context, okay? Prodigals are 22% in Canada. So that's 22% of the 1,000 people that were polled in Canada, 22% of them that grew up in the church, in Christian homes or whatever, no longer call themselves Christians or a part of a church in any way. 47% of those 1,000 people that were polled, 47% are nomads, which means in our context, these are the Duns, what we've called the Duns in the past. Certainly they may have a foundational belief in God, but they are done with the church and organized religion. And these nomads are the, the, the most significant group in our country. We need to start thinking through, actually, our approach because there are thousands upon thousands of people around us that grew up in the church, still have some foundational belief, but don't belong to any community, and again, are maybe done with the church. That's the largest number for us. Habitual churchgoers in Canada are 22% in that 18 to 29-year age range. So 22% of the people polled uh, would go to church maybe once a month, but aren't really interested in the practices of Jesus. And then resilient disciples, in our context here in Canada, is right between the U.S. at 10% and Australia at 8%. In Canada, resilient disciples, as marked by those four things and some of the research that came back, is 9%. 9% in our country of people who grew up in the church that are between that age group uh, declare themselves or affiliate themselves with being resilient disciples of Jesus. Now, this has a lot to say. You think 9% out of that group, the small percentage of that group are the ones being resilient. We have some questions to ask about the future of the church in Canada and our part to play as we call people to be resilient disciples. Now this data from Barna actually syncs up really well with a study done This year, it actually came out this year, but was done last year through the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, and they wanted to get their finger on the pulse of what was happening in Canadian spirituality, and they did their own research that runs very close. Um, You know, there's been massive shifts, as we've been saying, the last couple of decades in our country, and these shifts are so much so that the article and research that the EFC put out, the title of the study was called, and the title of the article was called, Not Christian Anymore. Like, this is the moment kind of we're in. Now, I want to share some of these with you as well, not to depress you. Again, when we talk about resilience, we've got to be real. We have to have realism, and we'll talk about hope at the end, okay? So please stay with me. Don't get too bored with stats, and don't get too overwhelmed with maybe some of the negative or bad news. But. When we talk about, and we're going to throw it up in a second here, when we talk about some of this stuff released by the EFC, I want you to notice that in some of the polling that the researchers actually use the age 12 as a key point in people's spiritual lives. And they basically choose the age 12 because many parents, and obviously, right, many parents give up trying to get their kids to go to church on Sundays, once they're 12. And so that kind of helps as a reference point for freedom and autonomy and people making their own decisions. This study done by the the EFC was broken down basically into two categories. One was on religious identity. Here's what the study found. The study found that half of Canada's population say that they are either now agnostic or something similar. So half. And they found that half of Canadians who went to church as a 12-year-old eventually switched to those agnostic categories. So you can see on the screen here that Canadians reporting some kind of Christian religious affiliation. Today, it's 43%, but back when people were 12, it was 71%. So almost cut in half, those who had religious affiliation. You also see that Canadians who report as atheists, agnostics, and spiritual nuns, back when they were 12, it was basically 21% of people who kind of identified as agnostic. Now it's about 50% then you'll you'll see on the other side there that Canadians who identified as Christian at the age of 12, and then it gives the different categories. You'll see there the different age groups. So Gen Z at 12 was 44 percent, Gen Y 54 percent, all the way up to the silent generation. Those born between 1925 and 1945 is in the 80 percentile. So you begin to see the younger you are, the less people are identifying as Christian. Make sense? All right. Then there's the other category that they focused in on, which was religious attendance. And if you think kind of identity is one thing uh, and kind of Christian religious identity is dropping, then just buckle up for religious attendance. As for current attendance at religious services, 11% of Canadians now attend at least weekly. And that's not just Christians. That's all religious traditions. And the the crazy number here is that this is down from 67% just after the Second World War. Close to 70% gathered regularly in a religious affiliation. That's down to 11 now. And even if you look in 1996, so whatever that is, that's 24 years ago, it was 30% of people Gathered regularly for religious experiences and gatherings, that's down to 11%. In quotes in the study, they say, Are poor attendance numbers all about young people not showing up for church? They say this, yes and no. Young people aren't showing up, but neither are older people as well. And so you'll see here the stats. Those who remember weekly attendance back at age 12. And you'll see the different percentiles from the different generations as well as weekly attendance today by generation. Gen Z being 9%, Gen Y being 11%, Gen X being 10%. But what I found fascinating is that there's also been a major drop for boomers in those that gather regularly. Only 11% now of boomers and 19% of the silent generation. So those numbers have dropped significantly for those that are older. Crazy to see some of the trends. Obviously the big one here is that among Canadians who attended monthly at age 12, how many now attend less? And it's 77%. So 77% of people who attended at age 12 would say now later on in life they attend less. 77% of people that were asked. It just shows you that these, these things are real. We're not just spewing data and we're not just giving research because we're bored but it just shows the current moment we're in. It exposes where we are. And, you know, one of the things that I think through as we look at all of this is it's almost harder to be a Christian now in the post-Christian culture that we live in than it is to be a Christian in a non-Christian country. It's almost harder now to be a Christian in a post-Christian culture you know, a post-Christendom culture, which when I say that, I mean at one point, you know, in our country, the Judeo kind of Christian worldview was more to the center. Now, what I'm not saying is that Canada was ever a Christian nation or a Christian country. That's not what I'm saying, but it is true that 50 or 60 years ago, the church was more at the center. As people participated more, the church was more at the center. And now that we're post-Christendom, or post-Christian, and we live in this world of plurality and authenticity, and we kind of get to do whatever we want uh, in this world, it's almost harder, in many ways, a lot of this data is showing it's almost harder to be a Christian in that world, a post-Christian world, than it is to be a Christian in a nation that's never really had Jesus followers as a majority. And, you know, there are nations around the world, obviously, that where the governments and, and authorities have been hostile. But a lot of people have been asking now, maybe, obviously it's different. We're not under persecution in many ways. We don't have governments at our throat or trying to take us out by any means. But is it harder to live in this post-Christian world, this post-Christian culture, where we, the church has kind of been pushed to the margins, and now in some ways, I think a guy named Charles Taylor would talk that it's almost impossible to believe. That years ago, in our very country and in North America, it was impossible not to believe. And now we live in a moment where it's almost impossible to believe, and you see the numbers just dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. Cultural critic and pastor, his name is Mark Sayers, talks about the difference between hard power and soft power tactics of a culture on discipleship and disciples of Jesus. And this idea is pretty simple. Hard power uses hard tactics. So things like persecution that the church has seen from governments and rulers throughout the ages in different countries where followers of Jesus have been marginalized and oppressed and even martyred. You may or may not know that there's a lot of people that have gone before us, generations and centuries before us, that have literally lost their lives as martyrs of Jesus because following the Jesus way was completely countercultural and almost seen as opposed to the government or uh, societal norms of other societies. That's hard power. Hard power is oppression, is you're gonna die if you follow Jesus. We are gonna persecute you. Obviously. We don't live under hard power right now. We have freedom, autonomy. There's all sorts of tolerance. We live under what Sayers would call soft power. Not hard power where we lose our lives, but you and I live in a culture right now of soft power. So instead of losing your life for following Jesus through hard power and oppression, soft power is the slow, slow lull away from the kingdom of God towards apathy and cynicism. Maybe it's the coworker who wants tolerance for everyone until they find out that you have a much different way of viewing the world and living your life. And this lack of tolerance influences the way you begin to think. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm not thinking correctly. Maybe the people around me that are uh, criticizing me or maybe viewing me as not tolerant, it's a slow drift. Maybe it's a group of friends. And slowly, one by one, Netflix and brunchmosas sound way better than committing to a church or the way of Jesus. Or maybe, maybe it's the terminal destruction we've seen over the last decade that in many ways has had no end, right? It's the slow influence of guys who used to follow Jesus but now have different ideas. And, you know, they've started a podcast and they're really cool because they record their podcast and they drink beer at the same time. Like cue all the conservative Christian kids who can't believe that you can drink beer and deconstruct God at the same time. If you don't know, this was like a thing in 2012. The point is, we are influenced by soft power. The slow lull away from the kingdom of of God. And I've seen it over the years, how many people wake up from this slow lull and don't even know how they got to where they are. It happens. We're not under hard power. We're under soft power, this slow, it's almost like a slow drip. Now, I think I already mentioned this before, but we actually had this series, Faith for Exiles, and kind of this book study planned well before COVID hit us, COVID-19 hit us back in March, and since then, obviously, things have changed. I feel like even the data and some of the things we're wrestling through and the different principles, now there's even deeper layers to it because of this pandemic. You know, we don't know the future. Let's be honest. We don't know when we're going to gather again as the church. We don't even know how and when our kids are going to go to school in the fall or when we're going to be able to go to movies with friends or to live sporting events. But as I've been thinking about the season, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting one of the things that has happened is that COVID has actually exposed who we truly are as disciples. So if you were a disciple of Jesus and a follower of Jesus before COVID hit, what this season has done, not just for you, but for all of us, myself included, is it has exposed at our core who we are. It really has. When it comes to spirituality, the kingdom of God, and our posture towards others. Honestly, I have been blown away by so many people in our community. I mean, this season has been, in many ways, it's been unreal. And Heather and I talk about this a lot. We've seen people rise as disciples, care for others, give. I mean, so many people have given to the London Food Bank here, to a woman's shelter through our church and helping other people. A family had a baby and people rose right up rose right up, and gave gift cards to care for that family and meals for that beautiful family. There's been birthday drive-bys that have been so much fun and significant moments for our leadership team and different people over zoom we've even seen adults in our community become pen pals with young kids I mean how crazy and cool is that uh, that Adults would go out of their way during a time of isolation to write young kids letters. Our youth group has been on fire with weekly discipleship through this time. I'm just so, I'm going to say it, I'm going to name it. I'm just so thankful for Heidi and Alicia and the work that they're doing with our students. And I get to peer in and listen in every once in a while and hear what they're doing. And even though we've been socially distant, there has been so many of you, it's been incredible, that have availed yourself at any time to connect and to be love and light to those around you. And I've just sat back and watched, and it's really, it's been amazing. Personally for me, you know, this spring, I was able to lead on Wednesday evenings a course called Introduction to the Hebrew Bible with about 15 people in our community. And I don't know how to say it. It's just been a blast. So much fun connecting with people in our church, wrestling through the Old Testament. And I'm just so thankful, and it's been really meaningful in my life. It's also been a season where if you want discipleship in your home as a parent, it's been up to you. And I actually, I kind of like that. It's kind of fantastic because this season has put the onus on you, if you have kids, to raise your kids in the way of Jesus. That's how they're going to be spiritually fed. You know, we don't have these online gatherings, or we have these online gatherings, but we don't have physical gatherings and kids leaders over your kids' lives right now. It's really been on you. And I actually, I think that's a good thing. Every Sunday, waking up with my kids, watching through these lessons together, not just watching, but pausing and going through the questions and and just wrestling with them. It's up to me. And I think this has been a season where, again, it's kind of exposed who we are. Are we following Jesus the King? And are we pouring into the lives of others? Are we not? Reality is, is that this season has shown so many people's resilience as they follow Jesus. It's been beautiful to watch. Now, the other side, and please, in no way is this sending judgment any which way, but COVID has also created an opportunity for those who maybe haven't really been resilient disciples of Jesus just to gradually drift. And I don't mean to, honestly, I do not mean to be negative, and I'm not pro- prophesying this, but it's my assumption that when this whole thing kind of is over and we get back to normal, there's going to be less of a middle of what we've even seen in these four particular groups. There's going to be less of kind of, I don't know what you call it, a muddy, I don't know if that's the right word, less of a muddy middle, less of a middle. I think this is probably a time, because of this season of isolation, especially for people who are nomads and habitual churchgoers, that there's going to be less and less involvement. You know, the thing I've heard from pastors over the last little while Is that throughout this season? Is that people are engaging less and less with the online content? And here's the thing: I kind of get it. I, I, I very much understand that because church isn't just information, and it's not just something you hit play on. It's flesh and blood. It's bodies together, obviously. So there's part of me where I get it. There's pastors. I I talk to them, and they're kind of frustrated at the lack of engagement online. But let's be honest as well, because I understand that side. But again. And there's seriously no judgment here. But if someone, honestly, can watch hours on end of Netflix, like hours upon hours of day, on, on an, in a day, but can't engage with their local church for 45 minutes a week in this season where we've kind of been forced online, I just wonder what will the future of the church look like when it comes to Resilience? we can engage ourselves in hours upon hours of kind of mindless stuff, let's be honest, and I love Netflix, don't get me wrong, but we can't stay connected, it's going to be interesting to see the resilience of the church down the road. Think about it. People who have tasted months and months of what it's like not to go to church— And this, combined with the reality that there is less and less guilt to do so, so like there's less parent guilt than ever, there used to be parent guilt, I don't know if you know this, but uh, there used to be kind of a residual of parent guilt, and that's why people became habitual churchgoers, that's kind of gone, along with the kind of Christian foundation guilt, which seems to be obliterated in our moment. The reality is is that the option for a different life that is autonomous and guilt-free of involvement from any church or any sort of people could very well be the way of the future because of what we've seen. You get a taste of something and you kind of realize, for a lot of people, you may realize, and this is not a judgment thing, but you just realize, maybe the church wasn't as influential in my life as what I thought it was. It will pave an interesting moment in the future for us. Part of this may be a good thing. And I don't mean, again, this in a judgmental way, but it may be a good thing because what it's going to do is the people who are really serious and resilient, resilient followers of Jesus, will rise up. My assumption is that people will become resilient or they will become prodigals. There will be less of a middle in a lot of the research that we've seen. People will have learned, and this is what's happening. People are learning what it is to follow Jesus and love neighbor through all of this. And there'll be others that will bow out to the Home Depot runs and the coffee on the back deck and begin to see this kind of as a more pleasurable and desirable option. This season could potentially do good for the church, right? Because some of you that are listening right now, you're on fire. You've just joined in in the season and you see and hear the practices of resilient disciples and as we talk about them over the next bunch of weeks and you actually want in on this. I think there's something beautiful about this. I think COVID exposes who we are, but I think out of this will rise resilient disciples. The other thing I think this season is going to do for the future of the church is it's gonna bring us back to what's important. You know, in this moment where things have been stripped away from us, I think it's gonna be the simple things, the important things that resilient disciples are gonna be drawn back to. You know, when we started City View way back in 2011, there were still lots, uh, there was still lots of discussion around how to make church cool and attractive. And that's not all bad, but there was a ton of emphasis on how we're gonna get everybody in, and we put emphasis on how things are gonna look and what kind of culture we were gonna create. And, you know, we, you know, the talk of just creating this irresistible culture, and none of that is wrong. But moving, it's going to be interesting. Moving forward, after all we've experienced the last number of months, cool is, I just think, not going to cut it anymore. Cool is simply not going to cut it. And this is coming from a guy who loves nice looking things. And don't get me wrong, I think things can look good and feel good. That's not what I'm saying. But the future of resilient disciples is going to be the regular individual and corporate practices that are actually embedded in our lives. That's why as we talk about these five practices of resilient disciples, it's going to help us get back to the things that even data-wise, the statistics, the study shows that these are the things that help cultivate resilient disciples. You know, we live in a fragmented time right now, especially in digital Babylon, with social media and instant access to everything. And it's a really interesting moment between all the political stuff going on and just... COVID, and everything just mixed together, right and left being divided, all sorts of things going on. We live in a world where in the last couple of years, certain celebrity pastors have literally quit and become atheists, and we got Kanye singing about Jesus and that he's king. You know, I often think, what kind of world are we living in? And what I love is that over the next bunch of weeks, We're gonna look at the things that have proven to help disciples be resilient in digital Babylon. And I think actually with COVID, it's more applicable than any day ever. Let me just remind you, amongst all the stats we've seen from the five different countries and from Canada and where we land as a country right now and all that we're seeing, remember Jude's words. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you follow Jesus. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. A couple minutes, our gathering is gonna end, our online gathering is gonna end. There's gonna be some questions that you can use personally and reflect and even think through right now for our communities that meet and you wanna join in and wrestle through these questions, we encourage you to do so. But I just felt all week long just a burden to pray for our country. You know, as we talk about this and kind of the numbers dwindle, I also think what can come of this when people are serious. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're serious about this thing, I want to encourage you to join in. Join in and praying with me. Join in in loving your neighbor as yourself. Join in in practicing the way of Jesus. You know, there may be a lot, as I've said, that comes from this that may seem negative, but... My prayer is that that 9% of resilient disciples are going to lead the way and we're going to see a renaissance. We're going to see revival in our country. And when we use the word revival, people have all sorts of ideas, but I do ultimate, I honestly, ultimately believe that God is going to use us who are resilient to see this country come to Jesus, to see God's kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. I want you to pray with me. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now, for our beautiful country. I thank you. I thank you that you've given us this country to be Canadian. And God, we don't see that as an idol. We know your kingdom above anything else, any country or nation. But I also thank you for the peace that's in this country And we just pray for revival. We pray for the numbers that we've looked at today through this research. And we just pray that more and more resilient disciples would raise up to lead the way. And God, we just pray for decades to come that we look back on this time in our country's history. And not because of the culture wars or because we're trying to force our way on people, but because of the way we love and because of God, the way we represent you, that people would be drawn into your kingdom. You've given us eternal life, which starts in the here and now, and it's going to blend into eternity forever. And I just pray for ev- that for every life in our country. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a brilliant, amazing week. Journey with us. Read the book. If you want to get ahead and start, you can read chapter one and begin uh, as we look to next week into these practices. We'll see you soon.